0: So as we begin, I, I want to know how many of you, first of all, are familiar with the 1939 classic, The Wizard of Oz. Show of hands. Okay, show of hands. This one may be a little bit different. How many of you have actually seen The Wizard of Oz? Okay, quite a few hands still. Some that, that haven't. My kids are not very familiar with The Wizard of Oz. They're far more familiar with the modern musical Wicked, which is actually a twist on The Wizard of Oz, than they are The Wizard of Oz. This may come as a shock to some of you. I didn't grow up in 1939, but I grew up long enough that there were only three channels on TV, and at night, there weren't that many options for family-friendly movies, And so when something like The Wizard of Oz came on TV and it would come on once a year and it would come on on Sunday nights, that was something that I would stop down for. And so I've seen The Wizard of Oz multiple times, which means every time I was freaked out by the Wicked Witch and I was creeped out by those flying monkeys And I would join in the song about being off to see the wizard, the the wonderful Wizard of Oz. And I was disappointed every time when they finally made it to the wizard. Because, 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 we were promised about the wonderful things that he does. That He is powerful. That He could meet the needs of these people that they had felt like they had spent a lifetime missing out on. So the cowardly lion, what did he want? Courage. And what did the tin man want? He wanted a heart. And what did the scarecrow want? He wanted a brain. And from the moment Dorothy arrived in Oz, what did she want? She wanted to go home because there's no place like home and because she wasn't in Kansas anymore. I don't know how many quotes I've gotten to. I hope someone's keeping score because there's been a lot in that little introduction. But when they get to the wizard's chamber, what do they meet? Spectacle and smoke And fire and a creepy floating head. And a booming voice that's not welcoming, but it's screaming at them and barking commands and orders. And the four of them are terrified and knees are quaking. But do you remember what happens next? The little dog, Toto, goes over to the side. And puts a curtain in its mouth. And Toto pulls that curtain open. And let's see what happens. In just a minute. Oh, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. So they discover that there is this person pulling levers and pushing buttons and speaking into a microphone and a camera is in his face and the dog pulls the curtain back but the wizard has that one more trick he grabs the curtain and tries to close it again and tells them pay no attention to that man behind the curtain and now they have a choice because before they were ignorant. They did not know that the wizard was not what they had always thought he was. But now he's been exposed. And they have the choice do they give in to his deception and turn his deception into self deception, convincing themselves hey, everything is okay? Everything is fine, nothing to see here. Or do they face the truth, even though the truth is painful and difficult and disappointing? So, Wendy read for us a few minutes ago from one of the prophets, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 6. And she read a phrase that actually shows up a couple of times in Jeremiah, and it also shows up a couple of times in the prophet Ezekiel. And both of those prophets are contemporaries. They are working at the same time. They overlap, although one precedes the other a little bit. But they're also talking about the same kinds of issues. And it is a difficult time in the life of the people of God. The Israelites have never been who they were and found their security as a people because they were the biggest nation on the block. That was never where Israel was supposed to find its security. But things got tough. And the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom... They had a falling out. At one time it was one, and then it became two, and then the northern kingdom fell, and all that was left, is a southern kingdom, Judah, with its capital Jerusalem. And things are looking dicey. And so the people have a choice. Do we face the reality, or do we hide our heads in the sand? And here's some of the problems that were going on. Idolatry starts to run rampant. And it's a struggle for Israel at a variety of times, but especially when times seem rough. Then you look to people who seem to be successful and secure. What are you doing? What are you looking at? Maybe we should do what they're doing. Maybe we should turn to the places they're turning. And they start to build treaties with other nations, bigger nations that are around them. But the problem with the treaties is that it gets them to compromise in all kinds of ways and has them looking not just to God, but to other people. And there's all kinds of moral problems that pop up. And Jeremiah talks about how the people have grown accustomed to looking out for their own interest and taking advantage of neighbor. Instead of protecting neighbor and building up neighbor, an injustice starts to pop up everywhere. So the most vulnerable people in society, the people they should be looking out for and standing up for, the poor, the widows, uh, foreigners in their midst, orphans, instead of speaking up on their behalf, instead of standing up on their behalf, they actually join in the injustice. They take advantage of the most vulnerable instead of standing up for the most vulnerable. And you've got all of this going on, but instead of being honest about the prophets, what Jeremiah says and Ezekiel says is that the very people who should be warning them, hey, you've got some issues that need to be dealt with here, the prophets and the priests, and the leaders of the people, instead of saying, we've got to work on this, they keep trying to pull the curtain closed. Pay no attention to the problems behind the curtain. Peace, peace, they proclaim. But there is no peace. So the prophets say the people are like a flimsy, crumbling wall. And those who should be the Masons, who should help rebuild it and restore it, what do they do? They just slap some paint on it and call it fixed. They call it a day. The nation, the prophets say, have gaping wounds that need immediate attention. And the leaders of the people should be the ones addressing those problems. But what do they do? Well, they're kind of like the absurd knight in the Monty Python Holy Grail movie. They're missing arms and they're missing legs. And what do they say? Tis but a flesh wound. Peace. Peace. But there is no peace. Everything is fine. Pay no attention to the problems behind the curtain. Nothing to see here. No need to get that high fever and shortness of breath and hacking cough looked at. There's nothing really serious going around these days anyway, is there? Just keep on plowing ahead. Peace. Peace. Just... Brush it aside and ignore it when your spouse says, we can't keep going like this. We've got to do something about this. Just tell them they don't know what they're talking about. They're making a big deal out of nothing. Peace. Peace. Don't listen when your friends try to tell you that they're really concerned that your partying has gotten out of control. You just tell yourself you know what you're doing and you can stop anytime. Peace, peace. Some of the most dangerous problems are the ones that everyone knows are there, but no one is willing to talk about. As damaging as it can be, for one spouse or one parent to have a serious drinking problem, for example, far more damaging is when it's treated like an open secret. Like the elephant in the room that is taking up an enormous amount of space. That is sucking up all the oxygen in the air, that everyone has to walk around to get anywhere, but no one will talk about it, and no one will name it, and you whisper it on the side, but you don't bring it out into the light. You don't talk lovingly and honestly and respectfully and truthfully. Peace. Peace. But that doesn't mean there's peace. There are some problems. There are some issues that are small issues that truly are molehills. And if you leave them alone and you don't dump a lot of time and energy and effort into them, they'll take care of themselves over time. But there are plenty of issues that only get worse when you ignore them. When you deny them, when you try to bury them, they fester and they build, they metastasize and they explode. Humpty Dumpty teeters on the edge for years. And people talk about Humpty, you know, that's not a safe place for him to sit. Someone really ought to talk with him. That's that's kind of dangerous. That's, he's, he's kind of breakable. He's kind of fragile. I don't know that that's a good idea, but they don't talk too humpty. I don't know if he'll like that. It'd be a little awkward. It's going gonna, gonna to be an uncomfortable conversation. But then when he falls and shatters, and there's no easy putting him back together, well, then the conversation flows. You know, I always thought, you shouldn't have sat on the edge of that wall. Looks really painful being shattered down there, but the conversations that would have been really beneficial before, we hold off. And then we can dogpile after. So, two weeks ago, we started a new series, War and Peace Peacemakers in a World. Of conflict. And I am absolutely passionate about being an individual and being a family and trying to be a church that is a peacemaking church, that is a reconciling church, that is a bridge building and repairing church. But being peacemakers can't mean slapping paint on crumbling structures and pretending they're fixed putting band-aids on gaping wounds and calling them healed. Peacemakers can't ignore real problems, even in the name of unity. Peacemakers have to address the struggles within us and among us and do it in love and do it in respect and do it in kindness and do a lot more listening than just Talking, do it patiently and compassionately, but it takes that effort. So, I want to give you a recap of what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Last week was baby dedication, but two weeks ago, we started this conversation, and I think it's helpful to understand what we talk about when we talk about conflict. And a simple definition of conflict is this a situation in which two or more people have clashing ideas or actions that's it it doesn't have to be anything bigger than that just ideas that don't always mix that might actually clash or actions that might actually clash and when you understand it at its foundation then you realize that conflict will always Exists. Because no matter what you do, or no matter how hard you try, or no matter how, work, how you work a structure and try to find an idyllic situation, there will at times be ideas that clash, that don't connect, actions that don't mix. Which brings us to the third thing that we talked about. That conflict does not have to lead to fight or flight. Sometimes that's where it will be. But those are usually the poles. Those are the extreme. And sometimes when we think of conflict, we especially think of the fight. We think of the arguments. And we think of the accusations. And we think of the attack. We think armed conflict and physical conflict. Or the other extreme is then you just run away. You, you walk away separation giving up and those two poles are possibilities of conflict but they are not inevitable outcomes there can be other outcomes healthier outcomes peace making outcomes which brought us to our fourth point conflict can actually be healthy And productive because it can be an opportunity for growth for everyone. In a marriage, or in an office, or in a relationship, or in a church, where we have ideas that don't always mesh. But in love, and in compassion, and in respect for one another, we talk, and we listen, and we grow, and we understand one another better. And maybe we re-examine some ways that we always understood things. And we reflect again. And we study again. And that might mean that we go deeper into convictions we already have. Or it may mean that we change. But here's where I want to continue the conversation this morning. Conflict avoidance is not the same as peacemaking. Avoiding all conflict is not the same as peacemaking. Avoiding dealing with real issues can actually be damaging and even deadly in every kind of relationship that we have. Because for one thing, peace is so much more than the absence a visible conflict. And we know this with nations. And we know this in close relationships. A temporary ceasefire is not the same as peace. It is not the biblical image of peace. Of shalom. So when the Bible talks about peace. Shalom. It is not just the absence of peace of open conflict. But the image of peace is harmony, working together. And it is wholeness, instead of fractured relationships, it's wholeness. And it is the presence of flourishing, and not just of a few people, but all people. That's peace. And it is restoring what is broken and it's repairing what needs mending so in proverbs 16 to reconcile and heal a broken relationship that is to bring shalom to bring peace or in places like psalm 122 or jeremiah 29 the people are urged to pray for peace for a city or a nation and it's not just to pray for those who are a part of their people their nation But in Jeremiah 29, it's actually praying for a foreign nation, one that has held some people in captivity, and yet they are encouraged to pray for peace. And what that means is pray for the prosperity, for the flourishing of the people as a whole. Not just your little subgroup, but that all people would flourish. All people would experience the blessings of God. And when Solomon completes the unfinished temple in 1 Kings 9, he is said to bring shalom, completion. This thing that was left undone becomes. Or if there's an example where uh, an animal, your animal, accidentally damages your neighbor's field, then you shalom them by giving them complete repayment for their loss. Peace is justice and fairness and making up for this problem. And when rival king, uh, kingdoms make peace, they make shalom, it doesn't just mean that they stop fighting, but they start working together for one another's benefit. That's the fuller picture of peace. Not just avoiding conflict, although occasionally that will be a part of it. And we'll talk about that through this series. But sometimes it's having the hard conversations and engaging in difficult situations that we get to peace. So I said a little earlier that one sign of an unhealthy family Is when there is a big secret that everyone knows but no one talks about, that elephant in the room. And I don't want our church to be one of those unhealthy families. So I wanna talk for a minute about the elephant in the room. This is a hard time in the life of this church. COVID has been challenging. And people are scattered. They've gone a lot of different directions. And some of them are scattered and they're staying home. They're, they're you know, in their, their bunker and they're staying safe. And, and all of you who are there at home but still watching and joining with us and listening, we love you. And we need you and we're counting on you. But it's been an easy time for folks to drift away, to go other places. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that. Or to not be connected anywhere. And I think it's healthy to acknowledge that. But as a church, you also know that we have undergone some recent changes. And guess you may or may not know that. But those of you who have been a part of this church, you know that we've been through some difficult conversations. And we've been through some changes That after years of study and reflection and discussion and discernment, the leaders of this church came to a decision that there was something critical. Something incomplete that needed to be completed. At least take steps in that direction. Something that is broken and has been broken for a long time. That we had to take steps toward repairing and rebuilding what was broken. Even though we knew that these conversations and these steps had the very real potential of causing conflict. That is, a clash of ideas where not everyone sees it the same way. And so the leaders of the church led our church through a discussion about an expansion of the role of women in the public life of the church. And it was a healthy discussion because healthy churches have healthy conversations about hard things even when there's the potential of conflict coming in the midst of that. But I would tell you that the difference of the ideas were there if we had never acknowledged it or not. The conflict was there if we had never talked about it or not. These were conversations that had been happening in various pockets of the church for years. We just needed to bring the church together in those conversations. And so the leaders of the church, and Kit Westbrook said it this way in the last class, the leaders of the church eventually came to the conclusion that it would be wrong based on our study of Scripture, based on our listening to the leading of the Spirit and prayer, based on our looking at the context of what's going on in 2021 and how we connect the gospel to people today. It would be wrong not to take steps. But we knew that not everyone would see it that way. We knew that there would be some conflict. And so, I don't want to talk about this every week, but I don't want this to be the elephant in the room that is all around us and we walk around, but we don't address and acknowledge. And that is, we have made steps that... I've hoped and prayed for for 18 years. Some people are like, I don't know if I can go to a church where a preacher believes that. And I'd say, how long have you been here? Because that's how long I've thought this. But we've taken our time and we've gotten there. And the leaders made those changes. And we have lost families that we dearly love. We've had families leave that we dearly love. And they dearly love us. At least those that I've talked with, those that will talk with me. And we are grieving. And they are grieving. And I think it's healthy for us to acknowledge that, that we feel their loss. And they feel the loss as they've gone to other places. And I think we acknowledge that as we move forward in healthy, honest ways as a church. And we pray that God will bring new people that we can minister to and that will minister alongside us in this new vision of who we are as a people. But part of why I bring it up is this. I did have some conversations with people who were struggling with the decision that was made and struggling with the conversation that we were even having the conversation because there were quite a few who left before any of the classes started. And that was a struggle. And I love them and I respect them even though our ideas clash on that, that there is conflict. But I had at least a few who would say, I am so hurt, frustrated, frustrated, even angry, that the church would disrupt the peace and the unity over this controversial issue. And sometimes in my conversations, I could tell they didn't really want to have a conversation. They just needed to get that off their chest. And so my peacemaking was to listen and to let them know I loved them and let them know I cared But those who wanted to talk, I would tell them, I hear what you're saying. I respect where you're coming from. But from my perspective, and I think from the other leaders' perspective, we had come to the place when we realized that peacemaking could not avoid changes that the kingdom of God compels us to make. That's not peacemaking. That's not shalom. Simply avoiding the problem. Simply avoiding the necessary adjustments that we feel Scripture is leading to and the Spirit of God is leading us to. It is painful. Those are painful conversations. And I hurt for those people as I hurt for myself and us. But one thing that we realize is that we continue in peacemaking to try to heal what is broken. To repair what needs to be remade. To build bridges into new places of connection that bring more people to places of equality where gifts are used and empowerment of God is recognized in all members. And at least as I read the Gospel, that's what I see in Jesus. Because it's interesting... That when Isaiah talks about God sending a Prince of Peace, it's Jesus that he envisions. And when Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace to bring peace on earth, not everyone saw His ministry as peacemaking, did they? Some actually saw it as very disruptive to their way of understanding and their practice because the peacemaking way Of Jesus was one of radical grace and inclusion and elevation where people who had been left out by society but also in the religious structures they found a new place of welcome and a new place of inclusion and a new experience of elevation where people who were told, you don't have anything to offer, when they were joined in the work of Jesus, they realized, I've got a voice. I've got gifts. I've got something to offer. The Prince of Peace knew that His peacemaking could not ignore the repairs in the world that needed to be made. Even at times when it led to a clash of ideas. And this really isn't just about church and this whole series on being peacemakers in a world of conflict. It's not just about church. It is about every relationship in our life. So let me give you another example. I have had couples come to me countless times through the years. Where one wants to talk about some problems in the relationship and has actually wanted to talk about some problems for a long time, but there is another spouse who sort of drags themselves into that conversation. And from their perspective, the only problem in the relationship is that this person wants to keep talking about our problems. And if they would just stop talking about our problems, then we wouldn't have any problems. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to say, I know you don't see it right now, but if there is a problem for one spouse, then there is a problem for both. If there is a problem for one spouse, then there is a problem in the marriage. And you can deny it, You can suppress it. You can dismiss all of their concerns. But it is only going to grow and metastasize. It is going to get worse, not better. Yes, no one is interested in making a a molehill into a mountain. But you know the best way to make a molehill into a mountain is when there is a real issue and you never deal with it. It just becomes this growing elephant in the room until there's no space anymore. And the reality is, I have had a number of conversations like that when in my mind I'm thinking, we should have been having this conversation three years ago or we should have been having this conversation 10 years ago. Because even worse than the spouse who says we've got to talk about it or we, we're done, is the spouse that comes into my office and I can tell they're already done. Because they've been denied and dismissed for so long that now the one who should have been motivated four years ago is motivated and the other one is checked out. They're gone. And the same is true with issues in society, issues in our community, issues that exist between people of different races or ethnicities or economic levels or nations. We can have this tendency to say, well, if it isn't a problem for me, then it isn't a problem. But that is not the position of the peacemaker. You don't have to agree to address and acknowledge the problem. You don't have to become a doormat in the relationship. Okay, well then, anything you say and anything you want, anything, anything you wish. Well, you're, you're the man. Or you're, you're the woman. You don't have to lose your own convictions and feelings. But you have two healthy individuals deal with problems in a mature and loving and honest and open Way. Peacemaking, when you get to the end, can be beautiful. But peacemaking can be hard because it's active, it's not passive. It takes rebuilding and not whitewashing, it takes healing and not hiding the problems. And so my challenge for you this week is my challenge for myself. Next week, we're going to talk about the ways as individuals that we deal with conflict. And next week, I could entitle the sermon, Confessions of a Conflict Avoider, because that is my natural tendency. And I've spent a lifetime as an adult trying to work through that natural tendency to be a healthy person and a healthy individual. We all come at conflict from our own different places. So my challenge this week for you and me, my challenge and prayer for us as a church is if there are things that you know you've been avoiding, if there is a person that you know you've been avoiding, If there's a problem that you know you've been avoiding, but you really need to acknowledge and address it, don't keep telling yourself there's peace. Peace. When you know there is no peace. Take the hard steps to start a conversation. Because that is is the path of peacemaker.